Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And another good Saturday to you. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Amen. Here we are. Uh, Amen. We, we talk. Well, well, we talk about the old West. We talk about the new West. If talk, it has the West in the it, east part of the West, the it, west part of the and west, and the north part of the West, and, so, you know, if it has, center. if it has the West in it, by God, we're there. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, when I was a little kid, I went to the icebox one time. Yeah. And I opened it up, and there was a rabbit sitting in there. I uh, know. And I said, "Hey, rabbit, what are you doing in the icebox?" He says. What kind of icebox is this? I says, this is Weston House. He says, well, I'm Weston. <laughs> boom, boom. Hi, we're here all week. <laughs> okay. And uh, don't forget to tip your waitresses. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> tip your server as well. Yeah. Uh, today's program is going to be about a gentleman by the name of Angelico Chavez. Uh, he, uh, th- 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 I think this is going to be a pretty important program, and only from the standpoint when we talk about the West or the Southwest, and we lump Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, Colorado, uh, the, whole bunch. the whole bunch, we lump, lump it all together as the West. And in some cases, yeah, that that's appropriate to, to do so. But with New Mexico, I think it's going to be a little bit different. And the reason I think this is because New Mexico was first settled by the Spanish, and the Spanish influence in New Mexico is so incredible that uh, I imagine, I don't know it to be true, but I imagine if you insist on something being a New Mexican, they'll probably tell you it's Spanish instead. Well, yeah, that's a good point because, uh, I, you know, growing up in New Mexico, uh, and I'm down, down, you know, Redosa is down in the south central part of the state, and... Uh, even there, because the the Spanish population, they were multi generational. They weren't, they, you know, they weren't somebody that drifted up from Chihuahua or Juarez or something. These were folks who were who were living there. Their family, their generational families, were living in that country before Jamestown. And it's you know, it's as you think about it, it's it's a culture. And also because of the remoteness of New Mexico, the way the highways were built, you know, you have two super highways that go through New Mexico, and nobody, you know, everyone just stops for gas and goes on. So New Mexico has always been kind of a stopping off place for history. And you've got this rich Spanish culture. You go to northern New Mexico with all the little towns, pueblositos, mm-hmm. uh they, you know, they'll fight you if you call them Mexican. And uh, this is one of the things that uh, Fray Angelico dealt with in his life, was he was an educator besides being a priest and all the other things. He educated people about New Mexico, but also the fact that New Mexico was Spanish, not Mexican. Well, uh, and this guy, uh, the reason we picked him up here is because he is very noteworthy in terms of uh, the history of New Mexico and, and, and bringing the history of New Mexico to, to life. He's a contemporary of ours, uh, born April of 1910, died March of 1996, uh, Hispanic-American friar, minor, a priest, a historian, an author, a poet, and a painter. And uh, architect, architect. Uh, uh, I mean, a jack of all trades and master of all of them. It sounds like. Yeah. Um, but uh, you no. Know, let let me let me kind of back up a little bit yeah. and explain how we we got into this situation. I was looking through a back issue of uh, Western Writers of America's magazine, the Roundup, and they had, they, always, they had every every month they have a column called Researching the West. And it, it, it basically is there for the writers so that they can learn about mm-hmm. a new place to go and mm-hmm. do research. Right. And this particular issue, uh, they were talking about Santa Fe and the, the museum there, which is in the end of the governor's, which is the oldest, oldest governing building in America, and it's still being used. Uh, but 
There, there is the Fray Angelico Chavez histor- History Library and Photo Archives, and this is probably the most comprehensive for the New Mexico state of New Mexico, especially like the photo archives. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to get a picture of one of the Pueblos taken in 1910, this is a place you go. Mm-hmm. You want a picture of the 10th Cavalry uh, on patrol in the 1890s, this is the place you go. You want to find out about a chicken pole, a chicken pole in the 1900s, that's where you go. Mm-hmm. And how many people out there? Everybody, raise your hand if you know what a chicken pole is. I have not a clue. Well, what about you? What about you, Todd? You know what a chicken pole is? Uh, I surely don't, Bunker. Well, you guys remember uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid movie? Yes. When yeah. Pat Garrett rides into the little ranchero and the cowboys are riding back and forth, trying to jerk a rooster out of it's buried in the ground up to his neck. Yes, that's a chicken okay. pool. Oh, okay. It was, you know, it was, okay. it was a great sport for back in back in New Mexico in those days. You know, you, you, you well, proved your sport, your horsemanship, your your guts. You mm-hmm. know, it was great. Right. Yeah, your agility, uh, your coordination, your timing. Yeah. Not to mention that there is a tremendous painting uh, at the Autry Museum. It's a pretty large oil painting of chick of a chicken pole on the beaches of Santa Barbara. In yeah, about yeah. 1810, 1820. Uh, and they're all Latin. They're all new Californians uh, or Californios, male and female. And they're, they're, they're all, you know, the wealthy aristocrats. And they're all standing there facing the ocean. And the, the vaqueros or uh, caballeros are riding back and forth trying to pull, you know, pull, do the chicken pull. And it's a fabulous painting. It was it was it was brought over from Spain, you know. And you're yes. you're right, you know. The haciendados, you know, they had, you know, you're going digressing to California, but they had this really wild idea about what sport is. Like, okay, hombre, grab your rialta. We're going out and rope grizzly bears today, <laughs> and that's what they do. Yeah, and you yeah. know, they had that same that same kind of. Uh, machissimo bravado all across the frontier because the ones that went into California, went into Tejas, went into New Mexico, uh, Arizona, these were all the ones that were more adventurous because, mm-hmm. you know, they because you know, when they went to Santa Fe, the first groups went up to Santa Fe, you know, it, it wasn't like, you know, you, we're sending you to Afghanistan for a year. These guys were going to stay. Yeah. They took their families. They took the, the staff and their families. Uh, and, the, you know, the families were Spanish. The staff was probably mestizos, you, you, indios, that they took up there with them. But they augmented that with the local indios mm-hmm. and integrated them and, and you just you know you just you see a dynamic there because one they're isolated you know it's not like it's not like you know you've got a ship coming into Plymouth Harbor every every few months mm-hmm. bringing news from the old country and mm-hmm. supplies taking people home you trade back and forth this is isolation Yes, it is. <laughs> and, you know, in, until, until the Santa Fe Trail opened up for trade, uh, and the funny thing is the Spaniards, the Santa Fe, you know, Santa Fe Trail was already open. The, the, the people in the East didn't know it because the Spaniards were going back to the to the Midwest and trading and, and coming back, and it wasn't until uh, Anglos or you know, Europeans started moving west. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember the guy now, but he took a couple of wagon loads of goods, took them to Santa Fe, and he couldn't believe it. It was like you know, they, and they were like, "Hey, this is stuff we don't get." There's you know? population here. Yeah, and it just but it, but anyhow, I want to give you some information about the about the museum because if you're traveling in the area or you want to do research, this is the place to go. Again, like I said, it's the Fray Angelico Chavez History Library. The address is 120 Washington Avenue, Santa Fe, New Mexico, 85701. Oh, excuse me, 87501. It's so close to ours. It is. And there's a phone number, 505-476-5090. 
There's a phone number for archives. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna give you all that stuff, the facts and stuff. If you want to know, you can contact us here, and, we, yeah. and we'll give. In fact, if you want to contact us with an email or anything today while the show's going on, yeah, voices, we'd love to hear from you. Voices of the West at Gmail dot com. Yeah. Oh, I want to. I want to <clears> share something. It's digressing again. That is kind of my new motto for the show for me. All right. And it's Voices of the West where folks can talk about what's in their hearts and on their minds. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Friar Chavez was a 12th generation New Mexican whose family had been in the area since the first Spanish settlements of 1598. That's, uh, that's a long time there. Uh, yeah, he did uh, for his... For his uh, ordination, he did he did his own invitations because he like I say he was an artist, mm-hmm. and he's got these these this Spaniard you know in, in the conquistador suit standing there holding a uh, statue of the Virgin. That's, that was a Chavez, one of his ancestors. Wow! You know? wow. <laughs> he just he had a way of working his family, his history, and himself into his work. Probably his most. Im- I imagine all of his books were important, but I, I'm thinking the one that is really important is called "The Origins of New Mexico Families: A Genealogy of Spanish Colonial Period," oh, and God, that so that has to. <clears throat> Boy, that, that that was 1954. Yeah, that I mean, you go through that stuff, man. Wow, I mean, yeah. that that's that's as good a work as what the Mormon Church does in mm-hmm. their gene- genealogy phase. Yeah. Well, you know, and he was born up in Wagon Mound, New Mexico, which is interesting because I think there may be a couple hundred people living there now, and there probably was around that same number back when he was born. And it's a neat place because it was one of the stops on the wagon route. And it was also a landmark because the the, the, the little mountain behind it, like it a was a wagon mound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, according to Wikipedia, the uh, census is somewhere around uh, nine hundred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, it, it, it's so funny because his education is is a series of different. Uh, oh, at fourteen years old, he goes off to the seminary mm-hmm. to start studying. Before that, in the local school. I guess he was he was you know he was like one of those gifted students. Uh, his family though early on his family went out to San uh, San Diego for the Columbia uh, San Diego Exposition, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he was there during all of the building because his father was a carpenter, and so he got to see all of these great wonderful magnificent exhibits, especially those dealing with New Mexico, because mm-hmm. that's where his father was working. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it speculated that his love for the missions and all of that kind of started there because they did they they built a mission there that was modeled after the end of the governor's mansion, hmm. and he one of the uh, one of the little missions that he built was modeled after that on a different scale. Just an incredible history of this man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. His pen name. Was Angelico, but that wasn't his pen name. That was that was his religious name because when you take the priesthood, uh, you give up your name. His real name was Manuel Chavez, and he, he became Angelico. And part of that was because one of his seniors at the at the school uh, was so in, uh, impressed with his artwork. There was an, a a uh, I think 13th, 14th century artist. Todd would probably know this. Italian artist named Angelico, who was one of the great artists of that era. Well, it's interesting that he he uh, improved his English by reading English classics, <laughs> classic literature. Yeah, I yeah. mean, what a way to do that. And 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 he read. He I think it was. Well, what was I think? I think it was Collier's Encyclopedia <laughs> from cover to cover. Boy. He read Coll. I know he read Collier's magazine, and and he he also when he got back to the seminary. Because, you know, reading it is not the same as speaking it. Right. So he was, uh, you know, in his own estimation, he was a little halting. And so he worked on it even harder. And you look at his poetry and his command of words and understanding and depth and color. Uh, I I love Western, I love cowboy poetry. The other poetry, sometimes it confuses me. But the cowboy poetry, I understand. His poetry is the same way. It's just, it's just. Well, he he, he writes about 
really about New Mexico, about the church, the, the church history, and he has a way of des- describing the land. There's in one poem he's comparing the sunset to a bell in a church, hmm. and the sounds that the bell makes in a vis- in a visual way of color, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As, and as the the the, the the way that the sun itself touches the bell in a mm-hmm. tonal way, hmm. and it's just just. Do you have examples of his uh, poetry? Somewhere in here. Okay, uh, uh, you've got you we'll, got a giant. We'll get to you it. You have yeah. a giant book of Chavez there. So oh, it's six hundred pages. <laughs> but it's just okay, you know. And this is this is like I said, all these different schools he went to. One of the schools he goes to is Harvard, but it has nothing to do with with the church. Or the, it's to prepare him for the chaplaincy in the army mm-hmm. because he the, the the church talks him into go, volunteering to help you know because the church wanted to participate in it. Uh, he went in, became a captain, uh, came out a major. He was at the landings at Leyte and Guam, hmm. and uh, I can't remember which landing it was now, but. He made the landing with a fever of over well over 103, and prob- possibly cholera. Wow! And wow. this is a guy that probably because when he went in, he didn't weigh enough to qualify, mm-hmm. and the, uh, the administrator that was doing the paperwork just gave him a couple of extra pounds on paper so he could get in. <laughs> yeah, it just it goes on and on. And, t- and talking about uh, beach landings uh, today. Uh, the day we're doing this show, June five, the day before. Yeah, big D day. Yeah, and then of course, and then he uh, later on. And this is this show. It shows you how how strange the world works. The uh, higher ups in the church uh, after the war, they asked him to, to join the New Mexico National Guard because there was a a, a very high position that they wanted the church to be in charge of. Mm-hmm. So he did. And then the Korean War comes along in 50, and they say, you know, you need to do this. He said, well, yeah, no, no. No, you need to do this. You know, you need to do active. So what happens? Hmm. All of a sudden, he gets shipping orders for Korea. And he, he was able to, to get his orders changed because, you know, he sent a picture of himself. He says, he's weighing like 103 pounds. <laughs> he says, you know, he says, the tropics, Asia almost killed me physically yeah. because of just my constitution. <laughs> they sent him to Fort Bliss, uh, which was great because he could still do his research. Oh, and that's the other thing. This guy was a master, master researcher. Yeah. He... He went into the families of New Mexico. He traced the families to Spain. He, the church assigned him to do translations on stuff that priests had written in Mexico and New Mexico in the 1600s, you know, centuries. And it just his capacity to work with language and words. You know, in translating, translation has got to be one of the hardest jobs in the world. Very much so. Yes. I took Spanish in high school, barely got through it. And because, you know, it, it's not literal. Yeah. For one thing, the Latin to English is right. reversed. Right, right. And the other thing is you, you, you'll say a word, and that word doesn't exist in the other language. I know. <laughs> so Germans you got, the German's the same You've got to come yeah. up with a facsimile. All right, we're at 19 after the hour now. We've got to do our first commercial break here. We're talking about Angelico Chavez. Uh, he was a friar, priest, historian, author, poet, and painter, and a very important man in terms of New Mexico history and um, that sort of thing. So we'll be back with much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West right after these messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of Westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. 
That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Ann. Anderson, served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Coming to you from the great southwestern United States. Here, Dan Tootin. Yes, sir, Bob. This is the Voices of the West. We're back on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. A little bit of Buffalo Gal medley there, huh? Like Buffalo. I know. All right, we're talking about Angelico Chavez, a padre from uh, born in 1910, died in 1996, uh, New Mexico historian, very important man in New Mexico history. And you know, it's interesting because uh, he's referred to as Fray Angelico, and that was because he wanted to his, Hispanicize the father. Mm. part of the name mm-hmm. uh, because in Spanish that's what father is is free and so you know that was that was his goal I think one of his goals was to make people love New Mexico like he did to understand the history and the people because you know it's like uh, when I was growing up in New Mexico the population Majority was Hispanic. I believe it still is today. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few states, maybe California. I think I know Southern California. It's a majority, but uh, it was Hispanic, and that, that's one of the big differences. I'm gonna just kind of jump around here like a, like a Mexican jumping bean here, <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna read some of the titles of his books because that'll kind of give you a kind of a taste of of his versatility. His imagination, and and also just it's just fun, uh, you know. There's new the origins of New Mexico families in '54. I think you mentioned that one, didn't? You? Yes. Yeah. And then you move down. There's My Penitente Land, and these are all books that were landmark books, famous books. Uh, here, where's there, this is one I wanted to really mention here. Oh yeah, it, it just shows you his sense of humor. And this is serious because just bear in mind that everything that he wrote had to pass the censors of the of Catholic the church. church. So, you know, he had to he had to walk a fine line mm-hmm. and to be this creative mm-hmm. and this much genius. <clears throat> and and the funny thing is, he was very well respected in the church, but at the same time, an awful lot of the church looked at, looked down on him because he was a Mexican and and he wasn't again like he was. And in fact. When he was going for his interview 
to for the novitiate to become to become a priest. Uh, this German priest is, in, you know, questioning him and stuff like that. And the priest finally says, "You know, you are a Mexican, and the church does not take Mexicans." And he goes, "You're wrong. I'm Spanish." And he what well, he became one the first. Friar, a Franciscan friar from New Mexico, uh-huh. and he was the very first Spanish uh, Franciscan from New Mexico, or I think in the United States. From Spain, they were all over the place, but you know. It's really interesting that the a, a, a church would not take someone as a member because of their nationality. You know, uh, I mean, not, come it's, on. It's not funny. Oh, no, I know it's it, not it, funny. It, it's funny. It, it's funny, but I it's know not funny. It, I, I know it happens. Well, only to make your point more poignant, Harry, uh, is the fact that, especially considering as though the country of Mexico is 92% Catholic. Yeah. The entire the 92% of the population is Catholic. It's the only thing the entire country can agree upon. <laughs> Yeah, but the Catholic Church is going to to be dismissive of them. They'll take their money. Sure, they'll take their land. They'll build churches there, but they won't allow one of their one of the one of that population to become well, a it, member of the priesthood. It's all so, it's all politics. Uh, I mean, the hundred percent. Yeah, the hundred percent. The politics gets into the church, and and the. I distinctly remember once after we moved to Tucson, my mom wanted to join one of the churches here, <clears throat> and uh, was told that my my father did not earn enough money. And I'm thinking, I, that well, sounds Presbyterian, yeah, well, Methodist, Episcopalian, me- Methodist. Methodist. And, <laughs> well, well this I? is why uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson says what he says, and so many the majority of the country today says that he wrote about. The, the separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. His separation of church and state had nothing to do with keeping religion out of politics. What it had to do with was keeping men of the clergy out of politics. Out of politics. <laughs> yeah. Religion should yeah. be part of politics because it's a frame of reference sure. of being able to make a decision yeah. of being just and fair. Uh, the entire uh, Constitution, Bill of Rights, and the Declaration of Independence are all firmly and decidedly rooted in the Judeo-Christian principles of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. period. There's mm-hmm. no negotiating this. Very and I know the atheists now are putting together a petition, and they'll be standing outside the offices soon, but I have bad news for you. You can petition and protest all you want. That's the facts. Mm-hmm. And Je- Jefferson's writings were about that. Man is who ruins religion, yep. not uh, God and and not the people. It's man who's in the point of authority because he wants to interpret it his way and not the way of God. Mm-hmm. Here's a perfect example of it by not allowing um, uh, your family to join the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father had a, a very similar experience at a very young age with a Jewish temple in Brooklyn. So, you know, this is this is a poignant point and it goes across all religions yeah. well you know here's this is I'm going to go into some of the more of the some more of the titles here just because they are so interesting uh, La Conquistadora that's in, in 54 La Conquistadora was had to do with the legend when after the Pueblo revolt you know this couple years later the Spaniards return and they're in a big battle and it's not necessarily going well. Out of nowhere comes two people riding up into the battle. A man in shining armor, long white flowing beard, and a woman, La Cristadora. Hmm. They believe, and they won the battle. It was like it, it turned the tide. They believe, and this, is, this is the church's belief, and, and, and an awful lot of uh, Hispano New Mexicans, this was the Virgin Mary. La Conquistadora, you know, we think of Virgin Mary with the baby in the yeah, arm, yeah. and here she's coming as a conqueror. Interesting. And then we go, then you got, this is, uh, I think you mentioned this one, Chavez, a distinctive clan of New Mexico, which was the family history. This is, it goes back uh, 12 generations, 
up to, you know, in his generation, he was the first first of 10 kids. And his family, that's a family of accomplishments. It's just, mm-hmm. they're just interesting. And then moving down, my penitente land, uh, that's one of the things that if you want to understand New Mexico, the old New Mexico, especially northern New Mexico, the penitente uh, was basically because so many of the little villages and towns didn't have a didn't have a mission or a church or a padre, and the locals kept the church alive. And this was the penitente, hmm. and yeah, there's a lot of stuff been written about them, and it's a fascinating thing. I know that in the in the 20s and the 30s, uh, Life magazine did a, a huge article about them that was almost like an expose. Hmm. I don't know if it was intended that way or it just came out that way, because what they would do at Easter time is that these these penitente clans, they would do the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. And it was a great honor to be chosen to portray the Christ. Mm-hmm. And they would crucify them. Mm-hmm. And they would really crucify them. Wow. And they, there was also the penitentes <clears throat> were fraudulents. They would whip themselves mm-hmm. through the procession. Mm-hmm. And this didn't. This was like you know the same period that the uh, LDS, that Mormon Church, was undergoing the same type of uh, persecution from the from the American clergy and the American press and the American government mm-hmm. because they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. It was different, and they didn't want it because it was something they didn't control. Now moving on, and this I'm going uh, I'm going to get this. This I love the title on this one. Wake for a Fat Vicar, Father Juan Felipe Ortiz, Archbishop of Lamy, and the New Mexican Catholic Church in the middle of the 19th century. He wrote about the church. I mean, he was an authority on the church. Uh, this is the title. When Santos talked, a retablo of New Mexico, the Santos are, are, are religious, iconic, mm-hmm. you know, that go in almost every home. It's moving on down. Eleven ladies, lyrics and other poems. Guitars and adobes. Uh, now that's that's an interesting story because this is uh, a was a novel that had to do with this guitar that was cursed, hmm. and anybody that played the guitar would die. Hmm. Now, like the dead man's gun, kind of like that. <laughs> now there was this. This was in this home of this one lady, and her husband had died about six months. It, they'd been in the family for years. It had come over from Spain because in Spain, uh, and this is this is this is inter- should be interesting to Todd, is that the fa- this, the family in Spain. When, when it originally transpired, was Jewish. This was before the Infantata, before the, 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 the Jews were expelled from Spain. Hmm. And uh, it, it had just started to begun, begin, and this head of the family was burned at the stake. And his brother placed a curse upon his guitar. Whoever plays this guitar shall die. Well, the family, it traveled across the, the, the Atlantic, up from Mexico, into Santa Fe, and it hung on the family wall. But nobody played it until, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the father of the family played it, and he died. Well, mm-hmm. I'm sure we're familiar with Archbishop uh, Lamy, mm-hmm. you know, death comes to the mm-hmm. cathedral. Well, supposedly, six months before he died, he was visiting there. And he took the guitar down off the wall, and before Dodonna could stop him, he Get played a, a few chords, mm-hmm. you know, and he died. <laughs> well, now the story the story goes on. Uh, there was this daughter of the family, who the they wanted her to to marry up into wealth. You know, this is these are wealthy people want to marry her daughter to marry wealthy sure. people, yeah. and she was in love with this adobe maker. And the family didn't like it. And her other suitor, who was of the family, the one they were trying to get her to marry, mm-hmm. he broke into the house of burglarized and stole some stuff. The adobe maker was accused. And so he was definitely could not do it. He went off. He built a little adobe house that was, like, magnificent. Mm-hmm. In the house, he placed a piano. Years go by. 
And finally, uh, in the gambling acts, uh, fracas, the the cad is was is killed. But before he dies, he they, they find out that the doby maker was innocent. Mm. Well, in the meantime, uh, she marries him. They have a little girl. Well, a caller or something like that comes. Him and the little girl die. They lose track of the woman, the wife, the girl. And, you know, and years later, this older Hispanic woman has moved into the house. And they, and they, and they hear the piano playing. Mm. And they hear the guitar playing. Mm. And they hear the piano playing. And they hear the guitar playing. One night, one of the, you know, one of these great monsoons that we get here, we get them in New Mexico too. Mm -hmm. It hit, and the house collapsed down upon it. And this is, you know, the piano's playing, and all of a sudden, it's over. The next day, people go to, and the house is down. They go through the rubble. There's no piano, and there's no guitar. Well, now. (laughs) And on that note, we've got to take our next break. Woo, something to think about. The band has left the building. There you go. (laughs) Abel Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France. Todd Roberts, we'll be back with much more right after these messages. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 skeet fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Hi everyone, it's Susan McRae and welcome to Chaparral Roundup. As you know, I've postponed the March event to October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd so we can all relax, have a great time with great dinners, a great lunch at the White Stallion Ranch, Q&A panels, screenings of a couple of our favorite High Chaparral shows, the documentary of Kent McRae so we can honor him during his favorite reunion. And we have a great silent auction to benefit the Robert F. Hoy and Kiva Hoy charity at the Tucson Medical Center. If you're already registered for March, you're automatically registered for October. But if you're not, you better register by September 17th. I look forward to seeing you all, and so does Don, with his confessions of an acting cowboy. You'll have fun. See you in October for the Chaparral Roundup at Lodge on the Desert in Tucson, Arizona. I'll give you $10 an acre better than top price for that section of yours in 43. Well, I couldn't take that, Mr. Jode. I'll throw in a corner business lot right here in Red Dust. Well, I couldn't do it. That would be selling out the rest of the settlers. That is some good business, Mr. Hardy. Let the other settlers take care of themselves. And perhaps Mr. Hardy has a code that he'd like to live up to. I'm talking business with Mr. Hardy, my friend. Call me Stevens. 
I couldn't choose my name, but I can choose my friends. This is the Voices of the West. Francis Voices of the West, Harry Alexander Bucket of France, Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. Our topic is uh, Fray Angelico Chavez, a noted uh, historian of New Mexico history and uh, quite a historian on the church as well. So um, that's what our program is about today. And uh, in, in going through news articles and such uh, about our topic, I come across this one from the Albuquerque Journal from uh, 2020, that a statue of a Catholic priest, author, and historian that stands outside the Museum of New Mexico, and some of the walls of the museum in downtown Santa Fe were spray-painted with graffiti in an apparent act of defiance by Native American activists. New Mexico State Police say they responded... It's their stupid little paywall. The uh, uh, words "land back in 1680" were painted on the adobe walls and the doors of the museum, and red paint was uh, tossed to deface the statue of uh, Fray Angelico Chavez. Yeah, that's that's, in, that's 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 modern history going on there, and it's it is interesting because there was a very strong present movement. Uh, because they, every year they used to do a celebration of the, the 1680. Yeah, the uh, coming back and re- mm-hmm. retaking Santa Fe, and you know, and it it's been it's just like so traditional there that but the the, the Indio population has finally they it's like a pueblo revolt again. They and so it was canceled. The year before the COVID, and so you know, COVID had nothing to do with mm-hmm. cancellation. I mean, it had nothing to do with the cancellation. And then this year, it was obviously it wasn't going to go on. You know, this is again, this is one of the books, or origins of New Mexico families in the Spanish colonies period, in two parts: the 17th. 1598 to 1693, and the 18th, 1693 to 1821 centuries, and this is like detailed, uh, detailed, detailed history. Now, this is one of my favorite titles because this is this this is this is longer than the line at the unemployment office. <laughs> New Mexico Roots Limited. A demographic perspective from genealogical, historical, and geographical data found in diligentia, matrimonios, or prenuptial investigations, 1678 to 1869, of the archives of the Archdiocese of Santa Fe, and here edited in a uniform presentation by years and family surnames. That's the title. Yeah, put and, that put that on one of your three by five cards. Yeah, bunker. yeah. Well, I I did, but I had to use a couple of them. And what is it here? I was also going to see. Oh yeah, here we go. Uh, and one of these things after World War II, he was appointed the archivist of the uh, Archdiocese Santa Fe, cataloging and translating the Spanish archives. We're mm-hmm. talking about a couple of centuries of archives. <laughs> Boy. And that you know that's probably where he got a lot of his knowledge and stuff. But because he he was already doing that anyway, uh, he wrote the definitive work on the families of New Mexico, and he is best known uh, locally in New Mexico for La Conquistadora, the autobiography of an ancient statue, which traces the uh, Conquistadora statue coming from Spain traveling up to Santa Fe, and it's still there in the end of the governor's. That would be a Camino Royal, uh, a Real, right? Uh, well, yeah, the Camino Real. Royal Road, yeah. Which, which that would have been the road to Santa Fe. It would have been the road to, to uh, San Diego, yeah. to San Francisco. Let me just go through some stuff. Oh, Todd, have you got anything you want to throw in there? Because I know you well, spent some time. Well, you know, right? I, I think it's important to remember uh, a couple of things, Bunker. He not only served as a chaplain in World War II, but he then re-volunteered and upped into Korea. So this is a man who not only had conviction of his faith and conv- confidence of it in, 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 in God, 
to guide him, but he also had conviction in his patriotism of this country to be a chaplain for in the military. And at, transversely, on the other side of the world, literally, is the fact that although he could do that and face death and you know look death in the eye and deal with horrible misery, he then writes a poem called The Virgin of the Port Legat based yes. on Salvador Dali's Madonna of the Port Legat. I mean, it's one thing to try to critique a Salvador Dali painting. <laughs> this guy decides to go out and write a poem about it. That's, you know, it, 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 you talk about an overachiever who was able to take things way beyond whatever his own uh, limitations were or what they, the limitations of the priesthood and the church set upon him. He didn't pay attention to any of that, and he just went off and did his own thing. And I think that there's nothing more that speaks to a voice, the voices of the West than somebody who has that true, true pioneer spirit. And this is a great example of it. Yep. I mean, it's really amazing. You know, there's, a great, there's an interesting backstory on that, too, because, again, you know, he, he had to submit the poem to, to the, the hierarchy. Right. And yeah. there was opposition because, you know, some of the opposition said, well, you know, uh, Dolly is a, a degenerate. Yeah, and, and a non-believer and, and a heathen. And, and, yes. and one, of, one of the other cardinals says, yes, and the church just honored him. <laughs> And yeah, and and so it was. You know, it was just it's so funny. Now this is this is kind of interesting here. When he was fourteen, he was admitted to Saint Francis Seminary, Mount Healthy, Ohio, uh, and through the study of the classics, as Harry mentioned, he improved his English and his writing. Uh, while he was there, he painted his first mural on of, of Saint Francis of Assisi, and. Also, uh, later on at the uh, his second uh, school posting, there was at the uh, a painting of Saint Anthony down in the basement on the basement wall, mm -hmm. and one morning somebody went down there and they they discovered that the face of Saint Anthony had been painted out, and Dolores Del Rio, the great Mexican actress, uh, her face had been painted oh, on it. Boy. That was him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah, uh, it's also important to realize that yes, the church was anti his poem, but the Catholic Library Association said it was the most one of the most important books of the entire year of 1959. Mm -hmm. And that same year, T. S. Eliot uh, said that this is a very commendable achievement. And something to be noted. Yeah, Ellen um, them. The, you know, this, these aren't just regular people. No, these are these are people. The the Library Association, and by the way, uh, Gennaro Padilla, who's a scholar, you know, points out all of the different people who came out of the woodwork in support of his work. And just to get back to your point about uh, the revolt and the defecation, the the defacing of his monument and so forth. Um, that is a pure, I'm sorry, Harry, I'm going to open up a can of worms here, but <laughs> we love I'm, worms. I'm, I'm, I'm just about in the mood here. You're right. um, <laughs> you finished your first vodka and you're on the second. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly, Butler. How is it you know me so well? Um, this has been brought about by a group of spoiled children yep. who are uninformed, misinformed, and ill-informed, yep. and under-informed. Why? What did he say? All he said was that El Polpe, who was the, which was the nickname of the Indian leader, the Hopi Indian leader who led the revolt, uh, was not some type of messiah. And in other words, they portrayed it almost as if the followers of El Polpe in the revolt, um, which kept the Spanish out. Uh, the conquistadors and the friars out of New Mexico or that area, part of New Mexico, for all over 16 years. Um, that's how successful it was because they slaughtered them all. It was only after they slaughtered his death. priests. They slaughtered priests and nuns as if they were animals to be eaten. 
which shows you how uh, how how truly devoted to mankind they were, and how civil they were. Um, they basically have always termed it that El Pope was kind of a messiah, as if all of the followers were just people who had no interest in anything, and he came along, and all of a sudden he 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 motivated them into a fury, into this uh, tizzy to run out and follow him and slaughter all those priests and conquistadors. All uh, Chavez said was, well, you know, I'm not surprised that he was able to, uh, uh, let's shall we say, roust up and motivate the faithful to follow him because there was a lot of mestizo in the population and they had been unhappy for many, many years. This had been brewing along. It was El Pope is the one who was able to articulate it and focus it in such a way that they rose up and went out and 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 basically routed the Spanish and got rid of them for 16 years. You know, that's we, all he said. We, yeah. He didn't discount El Pope. He didn't say that El Pope was a was a was a false prophet or anything of the sort. All he said was, "I'm not surprised." That he got them, he got his population, his soldiers, his backers, his followers to follow him, based on the fact that they were so dissatisfied with the class structure that the church had set up. For. This is a good point, and this is something that also it needs to be needs to be mentioned is that most of his mission assignments in New Mexico, upper northern New Mexico, were. Uh, Indian villages, mm-hmm. Indian missions, mm-hmm. uh, but we've also got to realize that you know the true history is that the Indian population in New Mexico, in California, in Arizona, in Mexico itself were treated as slaves. Yes. They were not treated as equals right. or, or or citizens. Right. They didn't have yes. what what they had in, the, and this was basically. And and he talks about it. That he because he wrote about it in in different places. That this was an oppressed people that just they broke. And, and like you said, all it takes is a, a uh, charismatic leader at any time in right. history. Mm-hmm. You've got your Hitlers. You know. Uh, and by the way, that's going to open up another can of worms yeah, there, uh, well, uh, Bunker, but that, because whether well, it's Hitler or it's El Pope or it's Martin Luther King, someone to inspire the people, the base, to unite behind him and follow him. Well, you know, now, it's, 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 it could it's, be good and it could be bad. Well, just In to follow that, just King, to, it was good. Just to follow that, you know, we have a, a great example of the American Revolution where we had not one... But leader after leader after leader that could fire up people, get them involved. Uh, you know, this was you know when the American Revolution happened, half the population was Tory and didn't want to separate. It was That's it, right. it took it takes a leader, whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. It takes a leader to lead a country or a nation or or culture out of one situation into another. And it also takes a guy sitting behind the board here to push the button and tell you guys it's time for our final commercial break. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's spiffy. We'll be back with much more right after this. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities 
activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Hymas Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. I'm Miss Wilkinson Investments. They're really good at what they do. 777-1911. I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Never go wrong with a Bob Wills tune. No, never. <laughs> Welcome back to Amal Franzi's of Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts with you. Our topic, Angelico Chavez, a noted New Mexico historian. We're about out of time here, guys. I've got a summation here, which I think does you know, kind of congeal and consolidate what we've been talking about. The life and work of Fray Angelico Chavez broadened standard conceptualizations of American culture and its central Hispano component. Chavez's complex and changing identity throughout his life and writing marks his uniqueness as an American intellectual, proud of his people's legacy. His literary, artistic, and historical contributions reinsert the Hispano presence in New Mexico into the master narrative of American history and culture. And just to add to that, this is a quote from him in 1990. Tell the truth. If you have a hero, tell his faults, too. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Pretty, that's that's kind of cool. All right. Our show for next time we get together, which will be next Saturday. The 12th. The 12th of uh, June. We're going to talk with uh, a fellow by the name of Larry Dar. Todd, tell us who Larry Dar is. Yes. Introduce him. Larry. Okay. I surely will then, gentlemen. Uh, Larry Dar started out as a stuntman and horse wrangler, uh, stand-in and so on in the in the film industry, and um, basically said to a, uh, one of the guys that he worked with, who was the production manager, he said, how's it going? He said, well, I'm not earning enough money. He said, you're behind the wrong part of the camera. You need to be behind it. So he got a job. Uh, that led him into, he was ha- always had a little bit of an artistic flair to him. And that led him into makeup, and he was in the makeup industry for over 40 years. And he is our... did everything from shindig to 
uh, Love Boat to Hollywood Palace and on and on and on. Plus he was in a couple of uh, episodes of uh, Bat Masterson and uh, Tombstone Territory. I think, I think he was yes. doubling... Uh, uh, Gene Barry. Barry yeah. may have. Anyway, that's yeah. our topic for next uh, time we get together. That's it for now. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to check us out on Amazon Music. Now, if I knew my Spanish better, I would say it in Spanish, <laughs> but it's 78, 79, ocho os. <laughs> so long, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West. 